Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of L2M Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to the latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Curtis Bingham. Curtis is the founder and executive director of the Chief Customer Officer Council. He was the first to begin promoting the role of Chief Customer Officers, or CCOs, as a catalyst for customer centricity. And during the last decade, he's worked with more than 50 CCOs to create customer-centric cultures and drive profitable customer loyalty. He's spoken extensively about this subject. He's published nearly 30 articles. And he's the author of a forthcoming book, uh, The Key to Customer Strategy, The Rise of the Chief Customer Officer, that will describe how the CCO can create a consistent and unified customer strategy to grow revenue, profit, and loyalty. So welcome, Curtis. Thank you, Linda. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, it's great to have you. Curtis, you are the world's foremost authority on chief customer officers. You've worked with more than 50 over the past number of years. How did you get started to go down this path? You know, that's a really interesting question. It was, um, I, I remember it very well. It was uh, an early spring day in uh, New England. It was one of those dreary spring, early spring days where you just as soon hibernate right through the day. And I got a call out of the blue from a gentleman who said that, Curtis, I've been reading a lot of your writings on customer centricity and, and wholeheartedly agree with everything that you've written. I've been hearing about this new role called the Chief Customer Officer and I'd like to have your help in becoming my company's next CCO. And all of a sudden, I felt like it was one of those cinematic moments where the clouds parted, a beam of sunlight shone down right onto my office, and uh, the choir of angels singing. Here it was that for 10 years, I'd been pushing this massive boulder called Customer Insight up a hill, and it had just been a futile effort. And all of a sudden, it hit me with this one query, that perhaps with a chief customer officer, I can stand on top of the hill, and alongside them, I can push this boulder down and roll it downhill. I quickly reached out to all of the CCOs that I could find. I uh, found Marissa Peterson, the chief customer officer of Sun Microsystems, Doug Allred of Cisco, Jeff Lewis of Monster.com, and a handful of others, and uh, gathered the information and published a uh, the CCO report. It was one of the very first ever reports or uh, resources for chief customer officers and companies considering hiring them. It detailed the role and the best practices of those in the role. And it was, like I said, it was one of the very first things out there for CCOs. And uh, that's kind of where it got started. And since then, you know, a lot of things have changed. But uh, I think that the the function of the CCO is uh, remaining very similar across these last seven years. Well, that's, that's good to know, but before we go too much further, because I think this is an acronym that many of our listeners may not be that familiar with, tell me just what is a CCO or a Chief Customer Officer? You know, it's, it's a, interesting that the title has been around for about 11 years, and yet it's still poorly defined. It's not well understood. Uh, in the early days, the CCOs were customer service executives and might have been more appropriately called Chief Customer Service Officers. Their focus was on getting along with customers and, in some cases, keeping them from suing you. Uh, There are, unfortunately, some people that are still still stuck there. Uh, And now, 
fast forward a few years, the CCO is defined as someone who is the ultimate customer authority, and they drive the customer strategy at the highest levels of the company. So the CCO, what does the CCO do, you might ask? And that is that the CCO uses customer insight to affect corporate and customer strategy. And the most important thing is that using that insight, the CCO can align the company's deliverables to customer values and therefore maximize the efforts to acquire, retain, and make more profitable all of these customers that the company is dealing with. So is this something where, and you said it's been around about 11 years, but it's maybe six or seven years that this really started to get some traction. Does every company, a large company, have a CCO? How many CCOs are there in the world? You know, it's in the earliest days, there were less than 30. Uh, it was a very fledgling uh, role, very rare to find one. And now today, uh, as of the last count that I made uh, middle of last year, there were more than 300. Uh, the numbers are growing rapidly. Uh, competition is intensifying, and companies are beginning to recognize that their customers are in the driver's seat and that the customer experience and the customer relationship becomes the new competitive advantage. And I think that the, uh, the CCO role is going to continue to skyrocket in, in uh, popularity. So there's now more than 300, but you've spoken to more than 50 of them. So you've spoken to roughly one in six of these people. Yes. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been fascinating to, uh, to learn from them. The, the thing that's interesting is that the, um, even though the name and the title is the same, there are differences in how the, uh, how the role is implemented in each of the companies. Um, so tell us a little bit. What, what is the difference? Do, do they all report? Do they report to the CEO? Do they report different places in the organization? How, you know, what are some of the key differences in how different companies might implement this in their organization? Good question. You know, I think that as far as um, reporting to the CEO, the ones that are the most successful are those that do report into the CCO. I have seen a couple of exceptions where the CCO reports into somebody else within the organization. But by and large, those CCOs that do not report into the CEO or are not part of the C-suite, they really struggle to gain the authority and the credibility that they need in the organization. You know, it's interesting, in the early days, the CCO was focused on acquiring new customers and, um, or simply retaining the existing ones. And there were really only uh, two different types of CCOs. In the more recent years, the role has evolved a lot. I've created a CCO continuum, which is a chart showing how people are classifying the, themselves as the CCOs. And this is available on, our, uh, on the Council website at ccocouncil.org. If you imagine a four-square chart, the horizontal axis is an acquisition focus on the left and retention focus on the right. So a CCO that's more focused on new customer acquisition would be classified on the left side of the, uh, of the axis versus customer retention focus on the right, obviously. The vertical axis has line authority on the bottom. So this, is the, this means that the CCO owns all the customer-facing personnel. It's very easy to improve the customer experience because the CCO can just point at somebody in their organization and say, make it so. On the top of the vertical axis is process authority. And this means that the CCO has explicit authority and permission from the CEO to examine and improve any customer-facing process. They may not own staff, they may not have line authority, but they have the ultimate authority to go poke their noses into 
any customer-facing process and help improve it. Right. So in the, on the bottom half, stereotypically, companies are too small. Companies are smaller companies that fall on the bottom half of this chart. They're too small to have a separate staff function. They, CCOs tend to have a dual role, such as EVP of sales and chief customer officer. Um, the smallest companies tend to be in the bottom left quadrant. Their focus is on acquiring new customers at almost any cost and hopefully to find ways in doing so that they can help the sales and marketing departments find the right customers. The mid-sized CCO, mid-sized company CCO is in the bottom right. As companies mature, they realize that their customers are on a revolving door and they're losing customers faster than they're coming in the door. So they hire a CCO to stem that flow. The biggest company CCOs tend to be in the top right. The line authority model doesn't scale very well. So as the companies grow and mature, they begin to move to a process ownership model where somebody can own all of these processes and not have to own nine-tenths of the company. Okay. Many, uh, one more quick question or one more quick comment here. Many companies uh, ask me, what's the best? And you know, for most companies, it's somewhere in the middle where you can leverage the customer insight to help marketing and sales acquire more profitable customers. You can help the customer service departments retain the, the best customers. And as well, having more of the process authority gives you a greater reach into every area of the company so that you can make a bigger impact on the overall customer experience. So, so, there, so there definitely, it, it, it's kind of an evolution then as the company grows and matures. It is, actually, and it's fascinating to see the companies begin to evolve uh, in their, as they mature, they also mature this role. Got it. So tell us, you've mentioned Sun Microsystems and Oracle, which are now one company, but what are some of the other notable companies that have CCOs? You know, there's, uh, there's a remarkable number that do have them and have recently announced them. It used to be that only the mid-sized companies, or these no-name companies that nobody had ever heard of, had a CCO. Uh, but now more and more of the household brands like, like the Oracles, like the Cisco's, like Coca-Cola, Clorox, Kellogg's, a uh, number of these other big brands are, are uh, deploying CCOs. It's interesting, lately I've seen a remarkable number of public utilities uh, putting together CCOs. Companies like Arizona Public Service, Pacific Gas and Electric recently joined our council. Um, there are a number of other uh, utilities and um, managed organizations like uh, uh, Via Rail in Canada, which is uh, Canada's equivalent of Amtrak, have, uh, have chief customer officers. That's There's interesting because utilities, you would think, would, might be less customer-centric because they're regulated. Mm -hmm. So what are you seeing as kind of being an interesting or, or motivating factor to, to have utilities start to have CCOs? Yeah, that was exactly the question that I asked of some of these earlier CCOs because it was uh, you wouldn't you just wouldn't expect that. But what I found was that it's all about rates. If they can go to the regulatory bodies and uh, show that look, we're taking care of our customers. Our customers are happy. They're not calling in to complain about our rate policies or our treatment of them or anything of that nature. The regulatory bodies are more willing to grant rate increases or give favorable rate action to these um, to these utility companies. So it's fascinating because while they're a you know essentially a monopoly, if you are in their territory, you are their customer. 
they have uh, different market pressures that are equally powerful that drives the need for a customer-centric culture. That explains utilities. Why would other companies hire CCOs? You know, out of the uh, 50 companies that I've looked at, I found that there are three reasons. One of them is that there are chronic customer crises. The company has been throwing people and resources at some major customer problem or, or problem that's impacting customers in a very negative way, and they just haven't been able to resolve the problem. So they'll hire a CCO, someone who can run interference, someone who can clearly dig inside the customer issues and find out what, where the root causes are that they can hold accountable for making this problem go away. The next big reason is to protect and retain existing customers. As I mentioned earlier, as a company matures, they begin to realize that, hey, the real bulk of our revenue here, long-term sustainable revenue, is coming from our existing customers. We're losing them, but we need to fix that. And then the third one is kind of an interesting one where these companies are looking to create a sustainable competitive advantage in an effort to better acquire more profitable customers. So the CCO role is becoming a competitive advantage to help them compete better against larger, more entrenched customers or uh, competitors. Does, does every company, as it gets to a certain size, need a CCO? Yeah, that's a really good question. And interestingly, interestingly enough, the answer would be no. The CCO is merely a catalyst to help align the organization with the customers and hold it accountable. Um, when the organizational culture becomes so customer-centric and sustainably so, that the customer focus is essentially hardwired into their DNA. There's no need for a CCO. You think about companies like Disney or Apple and a handful of others. They fall into this category. They don't need a CCO. There's no need. The culture is already transformed, and customers are part of their DNA. So if these folks do their job right, they're kind of eliminating their positions? Absolutely. That's interesting. Absolutely. So it's interesting to sign up for for a, a position that you know you're going to grow yourself right out of. At least you hope so. Yes. So I know that there's a lot of C-level positions that have very short tenures. For example, CMO, Chief Marketing Officers, is about a little over two years. Um, what's the average tenure for CCOs? Interestingly, the CCO is perhaps the most fragile position in the C-suite. Uh, according to some major research that I performed last year of, of more than 300 CCOs, I found that the average tenure was only 24 to 26 months. Wow, so just about like a CMO. Yeah, yeah. the CMO has been growing uh, over the last couple of years. You know, each year it gets a little bit longer and a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, the CCO is, is, uh, now takes the, the uh, position as the most fragile member of the C-suite. Why do you think that is? I think that part of the reason lies in, its, in the immaturity of the role, if you will. In many companies, the CCO role is n nice to have, but poorly defined and poorly measured. And so as soon as the company hits a revenue road bump, they end up dropping the CCO because it's a cost center rather than a profit center. And so I think that what happens, especially in this last year when everybody was clobbered by uh, the recession, Many CCOs were put out to pasture because the company needed to uh, sustain their revenue. Uh, and by the same token, I think that when I go back to later this year, refresh this, uh, this research, 
we'll find that there were many companies that, for the reasons we just talked about, will actually have implemented a new CCO to protect revenue. So it may be a wash, but uh, I do know that there are quite a number of CCOs that were uh, that retired or lost their jobs in this last little bit because of the revenue pressure. Okay, well, that's one of, and it's probably when they needed the CCO the most <laughs> when revenue was 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 being challenged. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, and that's unfortunately when they they decided to cut back. Absolutely. So tell us um, in the few minutes we have left. Tell us about uh, this customer officer council that you've created. You're the founder and the executive director. What is the purpose of the Chief Customer Officer Council? The council is committed to elevating the CCO role in business strategy. As I mentioned, it, it, the role is still fledgling. It's still, in many cases, poorly defined. People just don't quite know how to measure it and refine it and manage the CCO. And so the council, one of the primary goals of the council is to help elevate the CCO role. Uh, beyond that, the council is dedicated to helping the CCOs learn how to help drive more profitable customer behavior in their organizations and how to help create a more customer-centric culture within their organizations. You know, members are, um, are drawn from chief customer officer or similarly titled or functioned executives from around the world. and. Uh, the, the council is very diverse in membership uh, by express design. It, it's clear in my work with the CCOs that this cross-pollinization of ideas and insights, best practices is critical for the, for the success of the CCO in any company. And large companies can learn from the more nimble and creative smaller companies, whereas more mature industries, I'm sorry, the uh, smaller companies can obviously learn from the greater research and, and resource capabilities that the larger companies have. And so together, everybody learns how to become more innovative, more customer-centric, and energetic around this whole notion of the customer experience. Now, who can join? Does one have to be a CCO to join? No, not by title, but by function. Okay. If you recall, the, uh, the chief customer officer is, is the ultimate customer authority, and they drive customer strategy at the highest levels of the organization. So if a chief customer officer is, is uh, I'm sorry, if someone is not necessarily a chief customer officer, but they have these two functions, we welcome them to join. As well, we uh, even have a number of CEOs who are extremely customer focused for their organization as members of the council. Perfect. And, and tell me, what, what kind of value does one get from joining? Um, the, the, the council if you were in that chief customer officer function? I think the greatest value here is the ability of a member to draw upon the experiences of others. Um, one of the CCOs said, Curtis, when I was just getting started out, I would have given anything to be able to sit down with somebody else, share with them my strategy, and have them say, yep, this is exactly where you want to go, or no, I tried that and it didn't work. So. The thing that the greatest value is the ability to share in the best practices, to be able to talk with somebody else in a safe and secure environment. And the bottom line here is that by doing so, these CCOs don't have to experiment at their customers' expense as they develop the best practices that help their companies out in the long run. And then if we're not a chief customer officer but um, had an interest in this topic, 
Is there information on the website that might be useful to people interested about learning about customer-centric strategies? Absolutely. You can go to the cocouncil.org website, and there's quite a bit of information there on how to become more customer-centric, how to align corporate cultures. Uh, there are some webinars and podcasts there around a uh, number of different areas in what we call the CCO Roadmap, which is a collection of nearly 100 activities that any customer-centric executive needs to, be put in, needs to put in place in their organization in order to ensure long-term success. And we're putting out uh, new articles, new blog posts uh, on a regular basis all around these 100 activities that are in the roadmap. And so there's plenty of information there. We've been talking here with Curtis Bingham. And Curtis, as I mentioned, is uh, besides being an authority on uh, Chief Customer Officers, he is the founder and executive director of the Chief Customer Officer Council. If you want more information about the council or you just want to go get some of, that great, uh, uh, some of those great resources that Curtis mentioned, the, um, the website is www.ccocouncil.org ccocouncil.org, and that's where you can find lots more information about these customers in general and the council in particular. So thank you, Curtis. We really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. It's been a delight. Okay. Thank you, everyone. And until the next episode, this is Linda Kopke from Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by L2M Associates. If you'd like to find out how you can improve the return on your investment in marketing programs, processes, or people, contact us at www.l2massociates.com.